bass players, musicians of the world at large. I'm Wyatt Walker Ware. I'm trying to play and talk at the same time, which is really difficult, and you're listening to episode four of the Better Bass Podcast. Today we are talking about swinging on the electric bass, playing walking bass lines, getting the sound right, getting a great time feel in this context, and some of the really idiomatic, really specific things to the electric bass in jazz and the electric bass in swing that I don't feel get talked about enough. The first topic here is the sound, the walking sound, and how to get your sound to blend with a band and to not clash in a jazz context. I hear a lot of beginning bass players, a lot of my students, and even not necessarily beginning bass players, but maybe people who are new to the style, immediately start playing walking lines, doing this Jocko thing, picking very, very close to the bridge. getting this really burpy, really growly tone that sounds fantastic on its own, but for a few reasons doesn't quite work that well in a, a usual small group jazz context. Reason number one is that the frequency spectrum that you're putting out this sort of upper mid push tends to clash with other instruments. It tends to clash with piano, it tends to clash with horns, and when you have such a powerful attack as the electric bass does, especially when picking super close to the bridge, and you combine that with this really, really present upper midsy sustain, it's going to step on other instruments, and it doesn't quite sit in the mix as well as a, uh, a more mellowed out sound. The other issue with this is that it lacks the fundamental frequency of the note. This this A, I believe the fundamental is uh, 110 hertz on this A, and the A an octave up from it is uh, 220. When you play this A, and when you're picking in between the bridge pickup and the bridge, if you look at a frequency analyzer for that note, the loudest part of the note is actually the fundamental of the A an octave up. It's actually going to be that 220 hertz fundamental, not this 110 hertz fundamental. So by the time other instruments are present, it's almost as though you're playing up an octave and you're losing the low end foundation. So how do we mitigate this? How do we not step on other instruments? How do we mellow out the sound? It's not gear. I'm not changing anything on my bass. I'm not turning any knobs. I'm not putting my jazz bass down and picking up my P bass. I'm not turning from active to passive or changing my EQ or any of that. All I do is move my left hand up to the neck. I play a pretty standard J bass with uh, 21 frets. I'm picking like over the fingerboard, over the 19th and 20th frets here, just playing with my fingers like usual. And what that gets me is 
a sound that blends, a sound that is full of fundamental, it is full of bass frequency, it retains the sustain that's characteristic of the electric bass, and it doesn't clash with your keyboard player, it doesn't clash with your guitarist playing that, that sort of dark jazz guitar tone that lives in the lower mids, kind of. This gives you mostly fundamental. It gives you mostly just the note that you're playing and just the note that you're accompanying instead of tons and tons of overtones that cut through the mix really well. The other thing that picking up the fingerboard like this gives you is a little bit of a dampened, little bit less thuddy attack than you would playing really close to the bridge. When I'm playing down here... It's kind of harder, it's fundamentally harder to draw sound out of the instrument from that angle. It forces you to pick a little harder physically, put a little more energy into the strings to get the same volume of sustain. And what that results in is this. A thump, 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 thump every attack that is a little bit egregious when you're turning your amp up on stage to be heard in a band. It starts stepping on the drums, it starts living in the same space as the sound of the kick drum, and the drummer starts playing kicks, muddies the mix up a lot. So dampening that attack by playing up the neck, the front of the note is still present, but it's not too present in a way that sort of unpleasantly clashes with the kick drum, typically. All of this put together makes a sound that allows you to turn your amp up more and still sit well in the mix. You can get the audience feeling the bass, and you can get the band really comfortable, the band really hearing the harmony that you're playing, really hearing melodicism in your bass lines. Other musicians love to hear that. Audiences love to hear that, in my experience. And it gives you a lot more creative freedom in general. Now, disclaimer on this, that this is the approach that I take personally. It's an approach that's worked for me for years in pretty much every, not pretty much, in every single jazz context that I've played the electric bass in. There's other approaches available. There are approaches that sort of make the electric bass sound more like an upright, um, using, using palm muting, you know, scooping your mids on the EQ and using palm muting and getting this sort of sound. Gets you a little thumpier tone, gets you a, a similar kind of attack to plucking up the neck. For me, I think the electric bass is its own instrument and is its own idiom, and I don't really try to fill the role of the upright precisely as a lot of other electric bass players do, or tend to do, rather. I listen to someone like Steve Swallow, in my opinion, one of the greatest ever bassists in a swing context, period, especially on the electric bass. I hear this warm sound, this beautiful warm sound with tons of sustain that just fits together so well, and it fits together so well with Peter Bernstein and Bill Stewart's sound, or Jack D. Jeanette's sound on the drums. Any record you'd hear Steve Swallow on just blends beautifully. Same goes for someone like John Patitucci, 
playing behind Chick Corea. He does play like that. He plays with a, a, a warm tone, plays plucks up the neck. I don't know what pickup settings he uses or anything. I don't really know anything super specific about John's swing playing, but it certainly sounds good, and he does play with very, very full sustain most of the time. So that's kind of where I model my sound. I model my sound off something that's more akin to an organ player playing left-hand bass or someone playing left-hand bass on a Rhodes or something like that than trying to emulate and fill the role of an upright bass super precisely. I think the electric bass is built for sustain. It's built for long sustained notes and it's built to put out a lot of sound and I try to take advantage of that in whatever context I'm playing in. So besides just getting the sound right, I think an important aspect of playing swing and playing jazz standards on the electric bass that gets overlooked is that the electric bass forces you to be very, very precise with your harmony because of the sustain that it offers and because of the nature of the sound. Good upright players will want to shoot me for saying this, but you can almost get away with more harmonic imprecision on the upright bass, and if you're not playing the exact same set of chord changes at the same time as your guitarist or your keyboard player or your soloist, it's not going to be quite as obvious as it is on the electric. If you play, let's say, two, two different sets of chord changes going on. Your, your guitarist is playing an F minor to B flat 7 to C, and you're playing D minor to G7 to C major, and you start playing this D chord, this D minor chord at the beginning of the 2-5, you play this D in the bass, your guitarist is playing a pretty standard rootless F minor 9 voice, and you put this D underneath it, it's not going to sound right. It's not going to sound great. You put the fifth of the chord underneath that, you put the A underneath it, same story. The electric bass makes these harmonic clashes really, really obvious. Now, that's not all bad. There, there's a benefit of this, and the benefit of this is that you're going to know when you're not playing the set of chord changes as somebody else, if your ears are trained reasonably well, of course. You're going to be able to hear these clashes, and you can go up to your trumpet player, your keyboard player, after you play a song at a jam session or on your set break on the gig or whatever, and you can say, hey, on this song, what were you playing on the last two bars of the bridge? They say, oh, I was playing flat six to five. Oh, well, I was playing three, six, two, five. That makes sense. That's why that didn't sound good. So over time, you can learn the way that musicians around you, musicians in your community like to play tunes, like to play jazz standards, learn their chord changes and the way that they like to set them up, and they'll enjoy making music with you more, and you'll probably get hired more. But to sort of mitigate the, the harmonic imprecision in the first place, it's important to learn multiple versions of standards. That's something that I do a lot. I listen to tons and tons of different versions of a tune that I'm going to try to play and try to spot where alternate sets of chord changes are and where the harmony can differ sometimes, where it might be offset by a couple of bars. I find this to be the case. There's going to be a couple of different ways to play a tune 
for pretty much every standard, except something really idiomatic, really ubiquitous, like a, a, a Blues for Alice or a Giant Steps or something like that, most of these tunes have a lot of different harmonic approaches that are available. So if you have those in your back pocket, if you're able to play the tune a few different ways harmonically, you're better going to be able to adapt to what happens on stage on the gig. And as I said, it's very, very important for the electric. It's as important for the electric as it is for an organ player who's laying down harmony and bass at the same time. That's the mindset that is best to have when playing these tunes on the electric bass, is that you've got to work with your comping instrument, your pianist, your guitarist, as though you are their left hand, as though you are part of that instrument and be 100% in sync and on the same page with them all of the time. Important point number three of swinging on the electric is the time and the feel and the consistency that's required. The nature of the electric bass is that we don't have the same attack as the upright does. We don't kind of have the luxury of getting this, this clear-cutting sort of high-end punch that the upright has when it plucks a note, when this massive instrument plucks this, this huge string with all of this length and the, the upright player is putting just so much energy into it that it makes this big, really well-defined attack, the electric bass does not have that. So it's important that you are very, very confident in your time and you're able to keep the quarter note steady at all times. Um, the late, great bassist Kelly Sill, if you haven't heard of him, he was a, a Chicago-based bass player recorded with Joe Henderson, tons of great musicians. He gave me a lesson when I was about 13 years old. Um, I was playing saxophone at the time. I hadn't even picked up the bass yet, but he told me something that I still think about to this day all of the time that jazz is a very selfless music, but the one thing that you have to be selfish with is your time. And that means clarity. That means clarity in your time, and that means a very, very high degree of consistency. Especially in a situation where you're playing, let's say, a drumless situation, duo with a piano player, that's something I do a lot, duo with a guitarist, or your drummer drops out for a couple of choruses, you've got to have a very, very high degree of confidence in your quarter note, and you've got to be able to keep the tempo steady because... If you move around because you don't have that upright attack, there's a very good chance that you're going to end up totally desynchronized with your soloist, people can get lost, all kinds of disasters can happen. And developing this sense of time, this not only this sense of internal time, but the confidence to express it, for me starts with a metronome. I like to do this, I like to put the metronome on beat 4, this is at a nice medium tempo. One, two, three, four, a uh, one, two, three, four. And that forces you to make sure that whatever ideas you're going to play in your walking line, if you're going to go for triplet figures, quarter note triplets, offset quarter note triplets, 
play a bunch of offbeats in a row, however you like to accent your walking lines, it forces you to have the combination of precision and confidence in your rhythm. Um, I like to practice this way at tons of different tempos, obviously. Um, space the metronome out even more, maybe put it on beat four of every other bar, beat two of every other bar, beat one of every four-bar phrase. Really push yourself with this, really challenge yourself with this. The second part of this is being able to be cooperative with your time. Sometimes somebody's going to drag. Sometimes somebody's going to rush. It's going to happen. And it's almost always a better option to just roll with it. Just roll with the punches and be okay with ending the tune at a little different tempo than you started at rather than train wrecking. Because not everybody is going to listen super well all the time, and the stage sound isn't always going to be good. Chances are you're going to be on a gig where the stage just sounds awful. There's no monitoring. There's really poor monitoring. The person running front of house is not, uh, not doing the best job, and you're going to have to kind of work with it, and you're going to have to use your ears and take advantage of what you can hear, because your soloist might not be able to hear you perfectly well all the time. So be willing to be flexible, but at the same time, if you're going to move the tempo, make sure you stay confident and make sure you stay swinging and make sure you still have that groove happening in your head the whole time. So that's just a few thoughts. This is a topic that I could talk for hours and hours on. There's a whole lot more. This is just a few thoughts on walking on the electric bass. Hope you got something out of this today. Hope I uh, maybe got you some inspiration to populate your practice routine Maybe you've got some other ideas. How do you like to walk on the electric bass? What do you think? Uh, what do you think some great swing concepts are on the electric? Who do you like to listen to for this kind of thing? Leave a comment on the Substack, betterbass.substack.com. That's the home of this podcast. That's the home of better bass content in general for the time being. Subscribe to the mailing list on there. Get yourself updates every time I record one of these episodes. I'm going at a pretty quick rate here. I've been doing an episode every other day or two, and I intend to keep that up for as long as I can. I'm really enjoying this format. I'm really enjoying putting this out there and talking to you all. And till next time, let's all be better bass players together.